I'm your host, Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Meg McKeon. Meg McKeon, who uses she, her pronouns, is a queer middle school educator here in Austin, Texas. When she's not working, sorry. Blah. Let's take this again. <laughs> Meg McKeon, who uses she, her pronouns, is a queer middle school educator here in Austin, Texas. When she's not teaching, she's snuggling with her partner and pups. Hello, friend. Hey. I suppose I should have included the cats in that, too, but they're not very I mean, snuggly. I think, yeah, I feel like your cats aren't, aren't snuggly. Really snuggle, but we love them. But they're, They think they're very independent. They're like, I see you from a distance. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for well, feeding me. Yeah, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm here for your attention, but then please never touch me again. So I never really know. I'll let you know when I want you to talk to me. Yeah, <laughs> I respect that from okay. uh, Healthy and- boundaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I was trying to think how you and I met, but we met at that Interfaces event only like last summer, right. which I feel like I've known you so much longer than a year. <laughs> yeah. And then all, and we also met at that uh, event at Sellers. Yes. I feel like I have like very uh, bleary memories of like seeing you because you came up to talk to Noah. And then I think I was like, you walked away and I immediately turned to Noah and I was like, I want to know her. Like her energy was so, you know, like I wanted to be a part of your circle. So I feel like, thanks Noah for that connection. You spoke it into existence. Um, it's on. Also, <laughs> we're both we're both girls from Connecticut. We're meant to be friends. Duh. That's true. We are <laughs> Connecticut broads, so that's a, a special. <laughs> no one uses the word broads anymore, and I'm a little bit upset about it. Like it's such a like people like get really cringy about. It. I'm like I love that word <laughs> so much. I feel like it really encapsulates like Connecticut too. Oh yeah, the various like different ways that you can embody being a Connecticutian. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also, for those of you who haven't put it together, Noah was my first guest, and Meg is Noah's partner, and so we've officially come full circle. <laughs> Almost a year later, like an additional like. We're recording today. Today's June sixth. By the time this comes out, it'll be mid-August. But like, I started this podcast on Halloween with Noah. And so, whoo, not going to get sentimental today. No, look what you're doing. It's, it's wild. Um, and I, I love that we are currently recording during Pride Month, like not like World Pride Month. And then by the time this comes out, it'll be Austin Pride Month. So. Right. Because Austin likes to, you know. 
Why are prides in August <laughs> in Texas? I will never understand. The yeah. hottest month, literally the hottest month. But yeah, sure. Let's just yeah, let's just March <laughs> on the days where we were all yeah. sweating to death. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know today you wanted to talk about queer, like being a queer educator, educating queer youth. What made you pick this topic? It's something that. I mean, it comes up a lot, obviously, in my job, but it's something that becomes interesting for me because often we have, like, people who are also supposed to be in place of power, caring for children, and what has ended up happening in my experience is a lot of people are like, well, Meg's queer, ask her, and, like, we don't know how to directly kind of engage with queer youth. And I think it's coming from a place of like wanting to do it the right way or being sensitive, but it's like, I feel like the burden of responsibility shouldn't always fall to me. One, because like queer education isn't just for queers, obviously. And so like I, it, it becomes this interesting exercise where I'm like, well, okay. So you're asking me a question about how to better respond to a queer kid why are you only asking me? Granted, I am the only queer person in middle school teaching. So like all of my peers, let me think, is that right? Yeah. Um, to, to the best of my knowledge, I am the only out queer in the middle school that I'm within. And then also um, we do have like several other people that fall under the LGBTQ plus spectrum, but they're also all white people. So to my knowledge in the secondary school. So I think that, um, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because as it is pride month, as we're thinking about pride and the LGBTQ community, I feel like we have an interesting kind of responsibility when we're working with queer youth to also be like talking to the other people who serve them that maybe don't fall under the bracket, but want to be allies in some way. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm rambling, but basically I, I think that the reason I think it's so important to talk about queer education is because it's not just for queers. And because in my experience, um, like so many of my students who don't identify that way will come to ask me questions about it. And I think it's important to kind of to open up the topic for other adults to think about how they're interacting or um, re-solidifying ways that they think about sexuality and gender and what they might be communicating to their young people in their life. Yeah, I mean, I think about just the amount of youth who come out during high school and middle school now. Um, someone, I, had, I did a panel back late March, early April um, for South by with in, in conjunction with out youth and um, the Texas gender sexuality alliances or GSAs. Sorry. Yeah. Gender sexuality. I only had one cup of coffee today. Um, <laughs> I don't have and, any. So you're doing better than me. <laughs> and talking about like how important it is to make those spaces. And, you know, me growing up, we had at the time GSA was the gay straight alliance. And so we had that in, in my high school. And I just think about, you know, growing up in very liberal Connecticut in a very diverse town that was really accepting. And, you know, we had a lot of privileges in that town. And even still, like for kids in youth and young adults that to still come out in our high school was still difficult. So I can't even imagine for youth who don't have that safe space. And so, 
you know, talking to you and, and my other friends who are educators and just being very out and proud people of just like having the representation of like queer people are allowed to be anything that cis and hetero people are allowed to be like just that whole representation of your life can look however you want it to look. And I think it's, if you think we're represent, representation like of the, you know, older movies and older TV shows of like just showing um, people in the LGBTQIA community being very messy or drug addicts or sex addicts or just like never having their shit together and how that really like delves into your brains is like, you know, it's like racism. Like you see the shit on TV and like how a lot of those like outside views you start to internalize. So I think about that as, you know, as, as educators and people who are making space for those youth of, you know, it is so important to have these spaces to have, you know, representation in books and TV and, you know, with you teaching English, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you read a lot, so I'm going to assume I'm, I'm right. Uh, of just like the books and, and, you know, having the representation, but then also like if we even open that conversation up more of like how people who are in the LGBTQA plus community have these conversations about like different ways relationships could look between, you know, having open relationships or multiple partner relationships, um, how we, we are really big proponents about talking about safe sex practices, which I feel like a lot of, you know, hetero and cis people don't like to have conversations around because there's this connotation that if you talk about sex, kids are going to have sex more. And I'm like, they're having it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and it, we look at how, you know, the, the teen pregnancy rate is in the U.S. versus in other countries and how other countries talk about sex so much. And, you know, it is in their society to talk about safe sex practices that they don't see the rate of teen pregnancies that we do because there's such this thing of like, well, if we teach abstinence and we teach, you know, using a condom, if, if that at all, or birth control, if that at all, like we are really setting our kids up for failure, which not that being a teen parent is a failure, but you know, <laughs> we're, we're not giving them the tools to make wise decisions when it comes to their safe sex practices. So of course it's going to keep, you know, this is going to, history is going to keep repeating itself if we're not putting those things in place. So I also think about that as we start to talk about, you know, as educators and as we talk about what we're taught in school between, you know, the things we read, um, the, the curriculums we are offered, um, and the space that we give our youth just to come in safely with no judgment to talk about things. Yeah. I mean, like, especially when you think about, I mean, Texas in particular, when we're talking Ooh. about education, like it's not mandatory here. Nope. So we do not have to teach and many do not elect to teach mm-hmm. anything about sex education at all. And so, and I have students and I mean, I teach eighth grade and seventh grade for creative writing, but like I have students every single year who will come and talk to me about sex. And they will also say that, I mean, they come up, like I've had students come up to me and be like, so I don't really understand how semen works. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, but I'm already having sex. And I'm like, well, okay. And you know, like, that's the thing is like, I feel like my role as an educator is never to like tell them what to do with their bodies, but to just give them information so that if they choose to do things with their bodies, they are knowledgeable and like, maybe don't like, uh, feel as worried about coming and approaching adults. Because I think sometimes they ask me just to see if they're ruffling me, like, right. I'm going to ask about, like, cocks and balls and see what she does, you know? And I'm like, uh-huh. And so, I mean, I have a very distinct memory of, like, a few, like, four years ago, a student, it's, like, dead quiet in class. And she raises her hand, and she's like, hey, Miss McKeon. And I'm like, what's up? And everyone can hear her. And she was like, what's a twat? 
And I was just like, and I was in there with another one of my teachers and she's immediately like crying, laughing. Like she had to leave the room. And I, I was like, I mean, I have to hold my myself back from those kind of reactions as well, because it is funny. Cause you're like, what? <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, okay, if I shame her in this moment for asking me a question that she's clearly just read this word in her book that she's reading, then like I run the risk of her never wanting to talk about it again mm -hmm. and feeling like shame around talking about bodies. So I was just kind of like, well, it is a word used to describe a vagina. Oftentimes it is offensive. And she, her response at the time was, oh, that makes sense in the context of the book. Thanks. And then just went back to reading. And I was like, Oh, okay, like this is, these are conversations that we can always have with kids because they're already having them. And right. the thing is, like, just like you said, if, if we start talking to them about sex, it doesn't mean that they're going to do it. And I've also had students come talk to me and be like, so I've been having sex and it's like painful every time. And I'm like, okay, what do you need from me in this moment? And they're like, is it supposed to feel like that every time? And I'm like, no, no, it is not. Lubrication is your friend. And they're like, oh, I thought that stuff was just like gross. And I was like, I mean, it's probably going to feel gross in your hand, but I promise you that will maybe alleviate some of what you're going through. But it's one of those things where I sit there and I'm like, I bet I would get in a lot of trouble for this if like, uh, I don't know, parents found out or administrators right. or whatever. But I also feel like, but then, As like, y'all spend so much more time with the parents' kids than they do. So, I mean, I was just listening to a podcast when a parent wrote in, like, we miss those kids as much as you want to get rid of them. Like, we are with your kids more than you are. Like, we, you guys see them, what, 30, 40 hours a week. So that, that whole conversation, too, like, you know, yes, you didn't give birth to them, but they feel like your kids just as much and you care about what they're going through. And, you know, to quickly butt in, like, I think about, you know, Texas and Austin has passed like safe um, sex ed conversations to add those to our curriculum. And a lot of people were against them because, which is hilarious to me, but because it talks about, you know, LGBTQIA plus style relationships, as well as safe, like safe relationship practices of like, you know, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, you know, if you're in abused relationships, like all those sort of conversations that like, I don't remember ever being a part of my sex ed curriculum. Right. Okay. So like, all these things which we are trying in very air quotes liberal Austin to to put into conversations for these students so that they are more prepared like you're saying to make conversations and to have conversations that are you know often seen as uncomfortable and and I love that point of like you have to think about so much like how your response is because you can't laugh <laughs> at the question because right? twat is a very funny word yes. <laughs> like <laughs> You have to think about, you know, you have to like keep it very stoic, but then also like give, give the student the answers. And then if you know, for her to like make, make sense in this context, like, okay. Like, and I, I think people always see children and students and young adult as just like smaller people. And I'm like, no, they're just people who are younger than you. Like they still have like their brains are still developing. Sure. But like they are absorbing things and taking in information and are going to remember things that you don't even remember that you did. So I love when I hear educators say like, I have to be very strategic in the answers that I give to my students. Yeah. I mean, like I had a kid come up to me point blank one time and he was like, Nikian, I want to ask you a question. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I'm not sure if it's inappropriate. And I was like, well, I guess we're going to find out. And he was like, what's the word queef mean? And I was like, mm. I was like, okay, basically it's just when the vagina emits a sound that kind of sounds like a fart, but it's like trapped air in the vaginal canal. 
I think that I think vaginal canal is the where it's trapped. And he was like, Oh, so you can fart out of your vagina? And I was like, I mean, I don't think it's like a skill people perform on cue, but you know, yes, you that can things can come out of there other than what you may think. And he was like, Oh, okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know. And then he just left and was like, I'm gonna go get my lunch now. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> like have a good day. Right. Um but I do think like so much, especially around that, like what you're saying, that conversation about consent is we never talk about like we, I think when we do get sexual education, we talk so much about like the mechanics of it, like this goes here or you touch this or this person touches this. And like when we're talking about consent, we should also be talking about like, how does this feel? Because I think a lot of times people are like, yeah, okay, you can do this, like touch this. Right. And then if it doesn't feel good, it's like, are we also empowering people to be like, this does not feel good. And that's not to shame you. It's to invite you further into my own pleasure that I'm trying to engage with, with you. Right. So I all, but people get really skeeved out by being like, you can't talk to children about how sex feels like what that's perverted or whatever. So I did have one student. I had, I have a lot of different kinds of books in my classroom, but I have one that's like a, it's called, I think a queer a graphic queer history so it's like illustrated and I had read like most of the time I try really hard to vet all the books I put in my classroom I can't read everything I put in there mostly because I have to buy everything myself but I like had read I think three quarters of this book and one of my kids this was years ago picked it out and took it home and read it and this is a kid who was like a voracious reader like continuously consuming text came back in and gave it back to me and I said oh like what did you think and she was like, you know, the stuff at the end about the sex stuff, I'm just not really ready for, but otherwise it was really informative. And I was like, cool. And then she left and I opened it up and it was like all about, and like graphically illustrated like different ways that even hetero couples can in, engage in BDSM and like illustrated, like, and we're, and it was like, there were like strap-ons depicted, people wearing them. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, wow, she... But like the maturity it took for her to just be like, oh yeah, I'm not really ready for that. But otherwise super informative. I was like, yes, also please don't get me fired because I was just like, oh wow, did not. Yeah. Like everything before that was sort of like, this is how like a queer history, like in terms of like historical figures and stuff like that. I didn't think it was gonna like get into like, here's practices of BDSM today and what that can look like in different iterations. And I was like, oh. Well, wow. <laughs> but then like you're saying also think like the self-regulation. I think I am not a parent. So everyone do not hold this to me. Like <laughs> I have nannied for a long time. I am a proud aunt. I am a godmother. I, I am not responsible for another human being that I have birthed or f adopted. So please <laughs> take what I say with a grain of salt. But just, you know, being a mentor and working with youth and just like hearing how much they just want to be treated like they can self-regulate themselves. Like they're like, we, you, adults make so many decisions for us. And I think back to when I worked at Out Youth and we had youth who would come in and be like, well, we don't want mentors. We just want adults who will come talk to us. Like we want to have people to talk with us, not to us. And that's just such a brilliant way to see things of like, I can only imagine like youth are talked to all day between schools, school, their parents, you know, the social media and, and, and media period they take in, like they are talked at and to, but they are never in conversation with adults. And that's why I think so many youth, like 
don't really want a mentor because they want someone who's going to come in at the same level. And so that was like one of our practices at OutYouth is like, we will be here to have conversation to make sure everyone is safe. But like, even me, like <laughs> I'd be working at my desk in like the main lobby. We had a very small building. So like everything just kind of overflowed. But when the youth came in and I would just be sitting there and typing and they one day had a conversation about, you know, the, dif- the difference between being bi and being pan and being queer and just sitting in that conversation. Like I wasn't, it wasn't like something I had to be invited into, but just the fact that they were willing to have a conversation adjacently to where I was located. <laughs> and at one point they were like, what do you think, Bray? And I was like, I felt honored. I'm like, oh, you want my, <laughs> my opinion as this older, quote unquote, uncool, uh, quote unquote, adult in the room. And, you know, we had a very beautiful conversation of like, you know, whichever way people identify of, you know, the difference between bi and pan and queer and why people choose one identity over the other. And just like being in that space. And I was like, I think when I'm ready to be a parent, I might be ready just because like, I am so grateful for the fact of like seeing these youth and how they were able to have such beautiful, open dialogue and no one was like right or wrong. And there was no judgment. It was just like, I'm sitting with my friends. We're going to have a deep conversation and we're going to see where it goes. And I was like, the kids are going to be okay. Like just so much pride in, in those, like in those spaces and those conversations. And then also like, as we continue to watch youth advocate for themselves. Um, I had a youth on earlier this year, um, L Smith, who is, I'm L's biggest fan. They are 18 and just, they've been killing it for like the last three years and I've like been in complete awe of them. Um, and you know, watching their activism too. And as we continue to see how youth and young adults are active, especially like between, you know, gun violence and now with the pandemic and Black Lives Matter movement that is really rampant right now in our country, just seeing how many, how the next generation is just really taking the helm. Yeah. And I think it's like, just like you said, and this is something that we talk about, well, some people in teaching talk about all the time where you have, if you're not prepared to walk into a room with a group full of youth and acknowledge that they have fully lived lives within and without that space, then don't teach. Like really, if you have just, first of all, you can get paid more doing literally anything else. And then if you have just shown up to hear yourself talk, like that is harmful work. Please don't do that. (laughs) And so And it's something that I think, especially in teaching, we are encouraged to be experts or like know-it-alls all the time to the point where it's like, these are empty vessels that we are to fill with knowledge. But I learned so much more from my students than I think they ever learned from me. And like, because I'm the faculty sponsor for our GSA, which the kids, when I first took it over a few years ago, were like, hey, it's been named like the gay straight alliance but we really want to be more inclusive so can we do the gender sexuality alliance and i was like absolutely let's do it and it's all student-led they elect their own officers and they just like pick discussion topics that they want to talk about every um, week because we have it during lunch on wednesdays it always involves some sort of like musical theater like somebody's belting something out and they've called it like their next like gay anthem yes Uh, so, and they really like Taylor Swift, which I have a lot of issue with, but. Um, we will hold it against them. They're still learning. Hard. Like, I definitely, I have to learn, I've definitely, I mean, in a lot of ways, but I have a hard time, like, not taking the bait of, like, oh, this is a teachable moment. Let's talk about this. Like, why do you like Taylor Swift? Let's unpack how that might be problematic. And they're like, can I just fucking like her? And I'm like, ah. 
Uh, well, we can be critical of things that we also maybe like, right? And they're looking at me like, I just want to scream the Taylor Swift song right now. So can you let me do that? I'm like, okay. Sure. I mean, their favorite, they've started to make fun of me in all my classes, not just in my uh, GSA, but they're like, they'll start, I'll start to say something and they'll be like, this is problematic because, and they're like mocking me. Which I'm like, I guess if you're going to mock me, I really don't mind that that's like how you're doing it. But it also means they're absorbing what you're saying, right? They can mimic you back. Let's, let's flip this. <laughs> you had one of my favorite things. I was talking to a group of um, boys and they were like, and they're cis, cis uh, guys. That they, that's how they present and identify. And um, they, were, they were talking to me about The Walking Dead, which I don't know. Have you seen Walking Dead at all? I don't do scary things. Oh, right. Okay. So it's not that scary. Anything that's going to jump out, if there's ever like suspenseful (laughs) music, it's not for me. Like that's how I feel about all TV. Not for you. If the the soundtrack makes me anxious, (laughs) that's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe then definitely don't. Um, But there's like a main character in it who basically her husband is, um, he's Rick. He's like one of the main characters. And he is like, wakes up in a hospital when the zombie apocalypse is like happening. And so she thinks he's dead in the hospital and has be- and been eaten by zombies. And she like basically hooks up with his best friend and is pregnant with his kid. When her husband like escapes the hospital and like somehow finds her in the zombie apocalypse again to be like, and so my kids are talking about this and they're really upset because they're like, she is like, she betrayed him and you know, all this stuff. They're really like mad about it. And this kind of goes back to like talking to kids about sexuality and about the way systems work in the world, because they're ready for these conversations for sure. And if they're already having them, like how much more powerful could it be if they were willing to and encouraged to consider other people's perspectives too, and how to navigate conflict. But basically they were all like hating on this character and they were like, oh, she's awful. Like she's terrible. She cheated on her husband. And I was like, I mean, to be fair, she thought he was dead and it's the zombie apocalypse. Wouldn't you want to get it in before like the end of the world? And they were like, ew. And they were like, but also we see her. (laughs) And so, but then at the end of it, I was like, okay, I I think I understand your argument y'all. And they're like, oh, okay, yes, you got us now. And I was like, so basically you just hate women. And they were like, no, she got us like we don't hate women no I love women and then we're like we had to like unpack why it might be problematic but they were immediately writing off this one character but then they the rest of the day like I would start to speak and they would be like no we will not hear any more of the problematic um, but they're funny like kids are so so freaking funny and it's because of the way just like you said that they are constantly consuming and analyzing and then like um forming their own opinions and i think to suggest otherwise is really reductive like also and i say this to them too like i'm gonna say stuff that they don't agree with and that's okay and they can dialogue with me about that but like to assume that they're all sheep that are just gonna follow everything that i say is ridiculous and it's like not what i think real like intellectual introspection is about ever so and then we all if we also think back to to years ago when we were a young youth and we, I, I think back to like when my friends and I like first started getting our periods and just like the, the, the constant misinformation I was fed about that. And, you know, I feel like there were girls whose parents were willing to talk to them about it. And still yet we were able to find wrong answers and we didn't have, we didn't even know where to get right answers. And luckily like we had teachers who were like willing to talk about this as part of like sex ed and most of our teachers were women, and mm-hmm. you know, having those those open dialogues about it of like you can't swim you have your period all a shark will come and you can't like all these things of like 
in just the constant wrong answer, but you know, us being willing to go and get and get those those connections from our teachers was just like so beneficial. So I also think about that too of like how you know being a teacher is almost like raising kids. <laughs> so I'm always yeah. like God bless because y'all have to do this five days a week with no breaks and figuring it out. And especially as we think about it, like during the pandemic of trying to connect with your students via, you know, online and phone calls and videos and just like how it's so different. So I give, I give teachers so much credit because, whew. Well, and I think especially, I mean, the, this last quarter for, because we were online from spring break when we got back from spring break for the whole year. So obviously as many other schools were, but one of the things that kept coming up in GSA, because we would host it every Friday is, so when I hosted at school, people who want to be there and who know about it, know about it and they show up. But it's not something that I send out like emails to parents about necessarily, or really um, promote outside of the space. Um, everybody, like there's 40 kids in there almost every week and from all different identifications. And so one of the things that our identities identification sounds weirdly like objectifying anyway. Um, but like when we were online, I had originally titled the group like middle school GSA. And then one of my kids messaged me and was like, Hey, can you change the name? Because if my parents walk in and see that, like that is the title of the meet that I'm in, that I'm going to get in trouble. So I was like, okay, like, what do you think? And like all the kids were like, let's do like Friday support group, but just make sure there's lots of rainbows. And I was like, I mean, I can do that. So then I had to change that. But then the other thing that kept coming up is when you're on Google Meet, it of course shows your name. And the name that often um, gets used is their school account name, which is on your birth certificate. And unless you, like we have never had, although I've asked about it, any sort of administrative response until this quarter, where I was like, hey, it's really traumatizing for kids to continually see their birth name projected when that's not the name that is their name. And like administration was actually really responsive and they were like, oh my gosh, yes. And I was like, especially if we're gonna be on online school for maybe the foreseeable future, like we really need to rethink that. And so, I mean, we're still working on it because there are apparently some like back end coding shit that I know nothing about that they have to undo. But a lot of my students were like, wow, do, like I didn't even know that you could do that. And I was like, I mean, I asked about it a while ago, but that didn't get anywhere. But now they're like, I think we have more leverage because of, you know, the space that we're in. So, and then of course, like when you're stuck at home with parents who aren't as supportive, a lot of it is like, I have kids who will ask me on behalf of other kids, like, hey, like I have a friend who really needs a binder. And so then like Noah has gotten a bunch of binders donated and I've had to like sneakily go drop them off outside of like houses and unmarked packages so that kids can have access to those, which I think just kind of circles back to this idea that as adults, we are in like extreme positions of power and how we like let students explore themselves and I think that shows up just like in the the books that and the movies that like the first movie I ever saw and I have a very distinct memory of this that ev that even featured someone remotely queer was set it off when I was in high mm -hmm. school and Queen Latifah with her like lover slash partner I was like what and I remember because it would come on TNT all the time and I was like I think I, it was like a lot of the time where I think I was like home alone or like no one was around me, but I remember looking around like, does anybody else know on here? Like, oh my God. I thought Queen Latifah, whew, I mean, I still have a lot of 
Her and I are birthday twins, so thank oh, you. <laughs> but but I think like I think back to that, and I'm like, I know there must have been other queer material out there, but I just was not really ever exposed to it. Right. And like my mom was in musical theater, so she had a lot of gay men around her, but that was it. Right. And so yeah, I don't know. I don't remember reading anything with queer people in it until I got to college. And then like I was like oh this was right around the time when I was in college when they changed at least at the university I went to the queue from questioning to queer so there's all these like queer theory studies classes that I ended up taking and that kind of like totally rocked my world because I was like oh this I've been thinking about this stuff or like you know when you go back and you look at your adolescence and you're like oh gay 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 <laughs> like I definitely have those moments, I think, in college where I'm like, how the hell did I not know that this was a part of my person? But yeah, I have shared this story before, but like, I, my best friend John, I've known him since I was 12, and John came out his senior year, so my sophomore year, so we're two years apart. And when, when I was younger, I had the biggest crush on John, which is a whole <laughs> different podcast episode. But when he came out, I was devastated. Like if y'all have watched Will and Grace and Will and Will comes out to yes. Grace, like I felt like I felt Grace's feelings. I was so in love with John. Anyway, I digress. Um, but we think back to that too of like, you know, when I finally came out when I moved here in 2016, <clears throat> John was living here and he was the first person I came out to. And he was like, girl, I've known since you were 12. And I'm like, what? He was like, yeah. He's like, I was waiting for you to figure out. He was when I, he's like, when I knew I was gay, he's like, that's how I knew you were queer. And I was like, oh, <laughs> tell me more. It's like, we've had conversations and, you know, we've talked about that a lot. He's like, he's like, you hung out with all the theater kids, all the queer kids. You were a theater kid. He's like, you were just always like this very liberal out of the box thinker. He's like, and he's like, you would talk about these people who he's like, and he's right. Like I, when I was younger would like feel like I had to like boys. And so like, I would push it a little too hard. And that's how he's like, that's how I knew. He's like, when you would like these boys who I knew you really didn't like, they were like just there. And I was like, you know, makes sense. But it's that, that thing too, like society tells us so much what we're, we're expected to do. And then you meet the people who are just like, when you are ready, <laughs> you you let me know and I will be here to support you so I, I think of that too like the more we create these spaces to have the to give kids the ability to like really be themselves and, and you know set these safe spaces like you changing that name is gonna do so much for that youth who like now can just be like no I'm just in a support group with my friends and our teacher we're just talking about like what's going on like if that's what that kid needs right now because their parent isn't going to be supportive that is just and just also like how simple is that just to change a name like <laughs> to change a group name so that a kid feels more safe like that I think people think supporting a youth has to be this whole big thing that we have to rush in and save them but you're saying it perfectly the kids are going to tell us what they need and we just have to listen and be receptive and do what they're asking us to do so yeah and I think it's really powerful when we own that we like screwed it up in some way too because I think so much of what I run into especially in middle school is like students who will feel like they'll come talk to me about it sometimes not all the time but they'll be like oh my gosh like, i'm so pissed at this teacher blah 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 and i'm like how do you feel like you can go talk to them about it and they're like no i'm not gonna go talk to them about it they'll never like own the fact that they did that right. and it's happened to me too like i remember distinctly with my fourth period class this year i was in a bad mood that day and i told i usually try to tell the kids like y'all i'm having a really bad day so i'm just gonna need you to give me a little grace but like i'm trying 
And this day, fourth period is right after lunch, so it's always like a chaotic time. But at one point, they were all telling me like, hey, we turned in this thing yesterday. And I was like, this, I was like, y'all, you're telling me that you turned it in. I'm holding only the ones that were turned in today. So you're like, not, half of you are like not telling me what's going on right now. So like, do you need more time to do the assignment? But I was like pissed and you know, like, when they laugh at me because they're like, we know you're mad because you start using your hands. And I <laughs> was like, y'all told me. Yeah. And then as I was like, kind of coming down on them more firmly than I normally do, I turned and I realized that I had put all of their assignments in another class pile by accident. So like mid rant, I was like, oh shit, y'all, I'm real sorry. I totally messed that up. And they were like, yeah, you did. You did mess it up. And I was like, I was totally like, lighting y'all up for no reason and I apologize but it was one of those things that like three weeks later one of my kids came up to me and was like remember that time when you got really mad at us and you really screwed up and you kind of said that you did I still think about that but I'm still kind of mad at you for it and I'm like that's fine you can be mad at me for it and he's like I know you told me that then too and I was like oh my god but it was like it just reminded me like shit they're watching me all the fucking time and I have to be really am I allowed to curse on this oh okay. please I was like oh, shit. um but it's we have a lot of power in spaces where youth are watching us. And I think to say that they also don't have power is really a huge violence in some ways. So, and then also loving them. Like it is okay if you're mad at me, I'm still human. And I think back to that too, like, like whenever you would see a teacher outside of school, be like, what are you doing here? Like <laughs> running into a teacher, like at a grocery store, like, I'm sorry, who, who yeah. allowed you out of that building I see you at? Like yeah. that, you know, I think teachers now have that sort of space. Like I am human. I am going to have a life outside of these four walls and it is okay. And, you know, I am going to mess up and, you know, all these, all these ways of like trying to lower those position of power so that kids also feel that space too. So. Yeah. And we're also like modeling to them how we handle conflict or like when we're having a shitty day. And so, and I think, in order to do that, we have to be self-reflective. And that really, I mean, that gesture alone, though small it may seem, is like wildly transformative, I think, especially in educational settings, is to just think like, why am I doing this? What is my intention? What is the impact of what I have just done? How can I like, you know, repair any damage I may have done? Right. But that takes a lot of <laughs> work and baby steps, yeah. 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 Um, I want to get to some of these notes you wrote in, in your run of show, um, especially as we think about what's going on right now in our country and the Black Lives Matter movement and the recent killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the countless others and talking about the school to prison pipeline in our country and how heavy that is. I was recently... Um, about a year ago, I was helping a friend, Caitlin, who was also on this, was on the podcast months ago. Um, the organization she runs does a lot of restorative justice practices as a part of um, their mission. And so just really having this conversation of like, they are working with, at schools with primarily youth of color who are mostly low income um, and, you know, helping these youth know that you can have conversations and, you know, they use soccer as a tool to start those conversations and build connection and then going from there. So, yeah, I would love to, to jump into this because I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, how damaging school can be for youth of color, especially particularly black youth of, 
you know, we see the suspension rates of black kids and we see, you know, that video that still plays in my brain of that police officer who came in and slammed a black girl in her desk and just, yeah, security guards in school and how that is traumatizing. And then also like youth who have behavioral issues and, you know, how they are put into holds for behavioral reasons. And Grace, who was on before, talked about that as like her as a white woman, know how damaging that can be to a black youth and a lot of, lots of there. So I, I want to also get into that because I feel like you work with a lot of youth of color from the conversations you and I have had. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I, I mean, we as a school say that we practice restorative justice. And I think um, in some ways we definitely have like, the foundations for that. In Can you place. tell us what it is for those who don't know what restorative justice is? So restorative justice basically means, um, it's, it makes me think a lot about like these calls for uh, defunding the police and um, what abolitionist work kind of looks like. Um, but essentially what it means is that you, at least the way that it plays out in middle school is you don't reduce the student to the thing that they have done. And so you address what's happened, you are, and from all sides, and then you also give that student time to reflect and then rejoin the community as a very valued part. So basically it's not like, oftentimes what you will see, especially in schooling systems, is like student gets suspended, student goes to alternate school, student gets, um, is like, so there's in-school suspension right and out-of-school suspension. And we try, or I think some of us try really hard to work toward instead of removing the student from the space, like navigating that conflict in real time and inviting that student back into the school community. Because often what happens is if you say, you have been suspended or you've done this thing or you keep getting suspended, people start to adopt that as like an identity marker for the student and the student also takes that on too. Like I've definitely had kids come up to me and been like, well, you know, cause I'm a bad kid, you know, I get suspended all the time. Instead of like, well, let's think about the system in which you are being continuously suspended. Like, and this is the other thing that I brought up at our professional development, I think it was earlier this year, is because every year we do this whole presentation about breaking down the numbers of referrals, of suspensions, um, and like what that looks like by demographic. And even though our referrals and suspensions, et cetera, has significantly decreased since we are saying that we're implementing restorative justice, um, it's still the people that we are giving referrals who are disproportionately represented in terms of our students of color and their students who receive special education services. And so part of what I was pushing for was we do all this work to, and not just me, there are, I have other colleagues who are doing this, but we do all this work to kind of analyze these numbers and break down the demographics, but we don't really reverse it. We don't say who is giving out these referrals, who is suspending mm. the most. And so I was like, and people were really not a fan of this idea initially. So I was like, why don't we run a report talks about like who's giving out the referrals, what grade level they are. And like, is that, is it one teacher giving the same student continuous referrals or like what's happening there? And people were like, no, 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 we don't want to publicize those re records. And I was like, fine then it's on administration to send an individualized report to every single teacher at the school at, of their referrals and have a conversation with them where they're breaking down what led to this referral, why did you do this, why was this the recourse you took, et cetera. Because I really feel like we do, 
it's the focus when we look at numbers in the with the, my demographic is still the onus of responsibility is still on the student and they're not the ones that gave themselves the referral so i'm like why aren't we looking at who mm -hmm. doing um and i think people are really nervous because some people hand out referrals like candy and mm. um, and like and they especially if you're in high school they stay on your record for your they're on your transcript if you get a referral depending on the like level of referral that you get mm. um so and i've had to write one well one referral for three different students who did one thing together but it was like it's something that i still feel like ugh about and i i'm still doing the reparative work with those kids to like repair our relationship because it is damaging every yeah. time you get a referral so so I think that's one way when we're talking about restorative justice to like really, cause I, I've been to national conferences for educators too, where the topic will be restorative justice. And it's like, it sounds really nice, but there, I haven't, and this could just be because I have not um, done the research or been exposed to enough like concrete resources around restorative justice, but I haven't seen it put into like concrete practice. We talk about like, okay, when something happens, we have a circle with the student. So like, okay, the teacher, the student who like, it needs to have the conversation and like maybe the other student who was involved. Maybe we all sit in a circle, everyone has a chance to talk and they have like a talking piece that they have to pass. And we kind of like discuss what happened, how people are feeling and like, what are the next steps we're gonna take moving forward? So it's like a reflective gesture together. Um, and circles, like if you're at our school, they've been doing circles forever. So a lot of the times students are like, do we have to do an interfucking circle? Can I just talk to you? Like, I don't really want to pass the talking piece. And I'm like, okay, but <laughs> let's like, let's think about how we're going to give voice to people who you don't hear from as much. And like, let's think about power dynamics even within this classroom. But I also think, I mean, when we're talking about, we talk about this a lot, me and my students in my room, because I volunteer in women's prisons. And they ask me about that all the time. And it's with an organization that works with incarcerated moms. And when you're in prison here in Texas, they make you, you know, you have to walk in a straight line. Your hands have to be held in a certain way. You can only go to the bathroom when you want to. There's also no air conditioning at all and no ventilation. So it's like really beyond inhumane in Texas in the summer. Um, not that prison is humane in any way because of all prisons, but um, <laughs> with Noah and I were watching a girl with a dragon tattoo, the original one the other day. And there's that, there's, uh, have you seen it? I think so. I had never seen it until like two days ago. But basically at one point, I think the original is in, I don't, it's, I can't remember what language it is. I want to say it's like German, but I could be wrong. Um, anyway, all that, to say is we're watching it and the main character is supposed to be this reporter who's gonna go to jail because he has um, done something to expose like a really wealthy business mogul or whatever. And at one point he actually does go to prison, but Noah and I are both watching it and I was like, oh, like where is he right now? Is he in a mental health care facility? And I just realized like, as I said that I was like, oh, this is what prison looks like in this country. Like prison doesn't like the, the character was like moving freely about and like talking to people and nobody was armed. There were no like guards or anything. And like the room had a nice desk and pencils and paper and everything. And like the women that I work with, 
like they have like five minutes to eat their food after they've waited in a line. They like, some of them will dunk their bed sheets in the toilet water in the summer because that will keep them colder. And so they can't share anything, like even a tampon they can't give to somebody else. So it's all like super regulated. But when I talk to my students, I'm like, y'all, we're not that far off if you look at how schools are set up because we tell you when you can go to the bathroom. We tell you when class is over and where to begin. Many teachers will tell you when to sit down, when to stand up, um, like what you're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to be consuming and how. Like we, a lot of what we do here is like, we don't have a bell system in our school, but the bell system is like very much like the language of prisons in some mm. way too. And like I have even seen um, like some schools will start using terms when they're thinking that they're implementing restorative justice, like, oh, well, the student who's the offender will do X. And offender is what they call people who are in prison. And we try really hard not to use that language in the volunteer work that I do, although many of them still use it. Um, but part, like a lot of what we have to think about too is if we're thinking about how all of this work is connected, right? Is like these systems are, they all work together in many ways too, right? And like, we don't have like a security guard on campus right now, but they're definitely talking about like how we can bolster our safety that they mm. our coordination with APB. And so a lot of, yeah, a lot of the work that remains is like how to um, dismantle those systems that are already present and those kinds of institutionalized relationships that are already present in schools. Um, but I have kids whose parents are in prison or relatives are in prison. And so a lot of it is like um, some, like I had a kid who told me about a relative in prison and was like, yeah, no, we've never talked about prison systems in school at all. And like one time I had a teacher tell me that all bad people went to prison. And I was like, but my relative is in there. And I was like, well, that teacher had a very like reductive way of thinking about the systems that we have here, <laughs> which, yeah, that's a whole conversation. But yeah. I just think, again, that highlights for me like how important it is to talk with students like you were saying and because they have a wealth of experience and exposure to things that we will not have and because we are only one individual you know right. so I think and especially like when it comes to like I had a group of boys this um god I miss these kids so much this year who would come into my room before school starts because they all got dropped off really early because their parents worked um early as well and some of their parents were also teachers but they would congregate in my room and like they would talk about, um, they were all black and they'll talk about uh, their parents and like what parenting looks like for them and how, like I had one of my students, he is dating a girl who's white and he was like, oh yeah, you know, I really want to go see my girlfriend during quarantine. And I was like, yeah, what do you like, do you think that's going to happen? Cause I don't like, do you think your parents are going to let you? And he was like, no, my dad said, I can't. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, and he was like, he had pretty good justification though. And I was like, oh, and in my mind, and again, this is my white privilege very much clouding what I think his reasoning is. I was like, oh, maybe he's like, you know, worried about COVID or whatever. And he was like, yeah, he, he said that it wouldn't be a good idea to have her over here because it wouldn't look good to have a white girl with two black men in the house. And that's what his dad is telling him. And so I was like, 
whoa, that it, and like all of his friends were like, yeah, that makes sense, man. We get that. It sucks though. You don't, you want to see your girlfriend? And he's like, yeah, I really want, like it, they moved the conversation so quickly, but it was just like, fuck, you know? And so, and they talk about how they have those conversations with their parents all the time. And they'll tell me, I mean, sometimes they're critical of their parents because one of my, I mean, these kids are just, they're so well-informed in ways that I never was. As mm. a kid, like the language that they have available to them, I'm like, damn, like <laughs> my kids are talking about like intergenerational trauma. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, where did you learn this? I mean, it's just like they, they can see and analyze adults better than we ever could. And so... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but they would always be like, they, I said something about like, well, do you think you could like ask your parent about that? And they were like, no, I could not ask my parent about that. I'm not trying to get a whooping today. And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, and they were like, yeah, you did not have that happen to you, I bet. And I was like, you're not wrong. Like I did not, I got spanked once for like pushing my sister down the stairs and that was it. And like, they, they'll talk a lot about, you know, they do a lot of impressions of their parents, which are so funny because I've met their parents too. So like having the adult perspective and then also like their perspective of the adult, I mean, they're, they're really, really funny. Hilarious. But they call themselves the Black Kings. That's what they would do when they would come into my room. So, oh, I love and they that. like, they really were like, they are the like coolest kids in their grade. Oh, I love so, that. But uh the kids they're gonna be okay i uh i just i have so much hope for this next generation just because of you know i think about like now that we're like moving up because we're getting older our generation and now like we're teaching these kids and we are having these conversations and you know we are slowly becoming parents and how that's gonna look different and i'm just so hopeful that things look different and that we'll move to a society that isn't complete trash (laughs) and that we can one day have a place where we're all just able to live and not have to think about the fact that my part my partner of a different color is going to come over and we're not going to look worry about what the neighbors think so uh, yeah yeah i mean it will be it's interesting to hear my kids talk about it too because they're so like i've had kids come up to me and very much be like look i'm very clearly going to do this differently than your generation and the generation before you and i'm like well please do please we have not gotten it right for centuries so yeah um yeah that basically i tell people all the time like the best part of my job is always the kids and like the most trash part of my job is like the not all of them there i work with a lot of really great people but there are definitely some adults that I have a harder time with and such is the work. So such is the work. Well, I think this has been a great conversation. I'm so happy that I got to sit and chat and I'll be sure to link your social in the show notes. Is there anything you want to shout out before we start Um, to wrap up? Well, I would like to shout out, I mean, by the time this comes out, this might already be a thing, but I'm really excited for you to be our first featured creator on I'm so uh, thrilled. Queerified. Yeah. Yes, so. Queerified, Queerified is out here. I'm, I got that email from y'all and I was like, I cried. I called Shelby. Like, Shelby. She's like, well, who else would they think of? Like, there's so many other like cool people doing great work. And she's like, stop you are like okay yeah. I'm, just, I'm just so grateful I, so i'm I so mean, excited it, like genuinely feels like 
there was literally no other choice. <laughs> like you absolutely should have been the first creator and are going Thank to be. So I think I'm just really excited to know you. So to get to have you be part of that is even better. I think also to think about like our conversation a few months ago about like, am I creative? Because I was like so against it. I was like, yes. I just do all these things that I love. And you're like, you're a creator. I was like, I just like have a podcast and talk to people. I'm like, I don't like do things you're like you, you make that run of show. You edit this podcast. I was like, oh, I guess. Yeah, so, you like literally listen your creations before us. Literally, it took you and Noah being like, no, let's, let's unpack this. I was like, okay. So I'm beyond thrilled. And I think like, it's been so wild how this year has really unfolded and, you know, things constantly moving and, you know, being in in quarantine and being unemployed and just thinking of different ways to, to keep moving and how many things have literally just fallen on my plate in the time that I've been unemployed. And I'm just like, okay, universe, God, whoever's up there, I hear you. I'm just taking what's coming to me. So yeah. So yes, Queerified. I will put that in the show notes as well. <laughs> and um, as you know, I always wrap with a question. And now it's your turn to answer it. What is the best advice you were ever given? Or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? So I think the best advice I was ever given actually came, this is like sort of a downer, but like my dad died when I was 11, but he was diagnosed with heart disease when I was four and told he had six months left to live. So they were like, okay, you're not, you got six months, you're done. And so he wrote this letter in preparation of what he thought was going to be his funeral in six months, but he ended up living nine years. And one of the things that he says in that letter is, that the best part of his life, two, he had two best parts. And that was like me, my mom, and my sister, and then laughter. And so humor has really, it's been something that I, it's like a survival tactic, I guess. And mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, I think joy, centering joy is so important in so many ways. Um, and then also, like, if I was going to talk to my younger self, I would just be like, hey, you're queer. It's cool. Be queer. And like, also stop arguing with so many people just because you have not yet processed your own shit. Because I was a real, I mean, I haven't totally departed from this identity, but I was like such a hothead in middle school and high school and got into a lot of trouble because of it. But I also got off pretty scot-free as a little white girl in a predominantly white high school. And so I got kicked out of class and detentions, but like, nobody called my mom except for once and like you know it was like a I really didn't get that much of a pushback for it except for teachers were like ugh, you have a terrible attitude and I was like you're not wrong but I'm not changing it at the time and I wish I could just go back and be like you could have used your powers for something else instead of arguing it literally any chance I got so although I still stand by some of those arguments because some of those teachers were trash you live and you learn right right (laughs) Yeah. yeah Well, thank you. And uh, that's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was recorded via Zoom because we're still in quarantine. And a special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music. And I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.